First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. This is the 25th episode and now we're in full swing for season four, dropping every Monday. Thanks for all the messages and kind words about the last couple drops. It means a lot, actually. I've been thinking about doing a reader mail episode or at least a segment. So if you're interested in that or if you want to be involved in some way, just send a DM or send an email and hopefully we can look forward to something like that in the future. Just haven't gotten around to it yet. Today, we talked to Layla Rosario. Layla is an award-winning producer, director, and filmmaker from the Bronx. We talk about her Puerto Rican heritage, growing up in New York, and how she first broke into the film and advertising world, where she's worked with clients like Rolex, Hennessy, Cadillac, and most recently, the director Michelle Gondry. She's also the executive producer and co-director of The Gig, and that's an online series about women of color producers in the entertainment industry. And we talk about the need for representation behind and in front of the camera, what it means to be a woman of color in the ad game, and how Layla was able to bounce back from a recent tragedy. What I love about this conversation is that Layla and I go way back and basically knew each other before we were anything in this creative industry. So it's really beautiful to see her push and succeed, be such a force to be reckoned with. And that's really inspiring to me and hopefully to you listeners as well. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Layla Rosario. You want to put cans on? I don't know if you need to hear your own voice. I do need to hear my own voice. Hold on a second. Hello? Yo, Layla, you know how to make some content. Come on. <laughs> you know how to play this whole content game? The whole content game. Oh, my God. <laughs> Aliens must be looking at us and thinking, fucking right. weird. They're just like watching themselves all day. I know. Just a <laughs> bunch of navel-gazy assholes on that stupid planet. Um, so I haven't, I think the last time that I saw you was at Shemansky's for working, <laughs> not working in 2017, December, no. 20, yes, December, was it? yes, December, 2017. And wow. we were both in our own groups partying on the dance floor. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Yo! Like, Yo! like, okay. And then that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Shemansky's. Was that a holiday party? What was it? It was that? a holiday party. That's yeah, yeah. so ridiculous. I know. I miss those holiday parties that they used to throw. Same. Come on, Justin. Throw some more holiday parties, bro. Come on. Come on, Justin. Yeah. Come on, Adam. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Throw a, a massive rager where uh, people can uh, make really horrible decisions publicly. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Yo, how you been? I've been doing good. I mean, aside from my whole like throat situation, I'm, yeah. I've been trying to conserve. I'm drinking chamomile tea when you're in the right place there's like tons of really expensive tea and coffee <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know exactly um, believe me I, i've partaken already yeah you bet you and i have known each other for so long and I, I know and i was saying this i was to, just thinking that i was saying this to my partner the other day i was like oh my god my friend invited me for his podcast such and such and i was like oh my god oh I, just I, like come up real close sorry up. i said i said to him i said wow rich and i know each other from like personal lives yeah and then we started off in the ad world and we were at jwt together yo (laughs) that's how long i've known i know wait hold on we could start whenever you're no this is great no we've already started well Layla rosario thank you for joining us on first generation burden thank you as we were saying uh we're we've known each other for a long time yeah and i consider you such a like a great friend within this industry and like also you're such a homegirl yes and also uh you're a great producer filmmaker thank you director great make great content like the gig much much appreciated oh for sure i was watching some episodes and cracking up um (laughs) over some uh, clips i saw on we were trying to upload some today and for some reason instagram can't 
for some reason, there must be some kind of issue. We can't post our new videos. It keeps like getting an error. Anyway, oh, Instagram, really? get your shit together. <laughs> Come on, Zuckerberg. Come on. Uh, yeah, stop worrying about your deep fake videos Bro, and I fix just, Instagram. <laughs> I was watching them the other day. That's wild. It's so fucking wild how AI is becoming like the next thing. I'm like, Rich, am I really talking to you or is this the <laughs> no. fake, the real fake, deep fake version of you? Oh, anyway. shit. So, yeah, we've known each other for a minute. Yeah, I remember actually, <laughs> such an aside, but I remember uh, early when I first met you, we were at a, I think we were both with people. Yes. <laughs> we were both with people that were actually related. <laughs> yes. Um, I was, a, yeah, 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 exactly. And we were that both was, involved. We were both involved and we met for the first time, I think it was at someone's barbecue in New yes, Jersey. That required a lot of physical activity. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I was like, I ain't doing that, but I'll photograph it. I'll watch it. Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, it, that's great. It wasn't. It was like their family Olympics, or it was, right. it was like July Fourth Olympics. And I remember being out there, and I was like, Why am I doing this stupid <laughs> shit? And then I remember, I remember, you know, Tom. Yeah, Tom, yeah, Tom Bayani. Shout out to Tom. What up, Tom? Lo- love Tom. I remember we were out there um, doing something that required like, you know, grabbing people. It right. wasn't football, but it was something akin to it. And then he stretched out my delicious vinyl shirt. He stretched the sleeves out like an asshole. I was like, why would you stretch my sleeves out? You know that's not cool, dude. I just showed up for the beer. Like, <laughs> exactly. I just wanted to drink. I want to drink outdoors. What are we doing? And that was before we saw each other at JWT. So we're talking like 13, oh, yeah. 14 years ago that we first officially oh, yeah. met. On Microsoft. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember. Wow. And that, then J- that was well, 2009. That- what JWT was. JWT was 2009, but we met prior to that, like two or three years prior. Yeah. Crazy. Barbecue. I remember being there on the weekend, and then, yeah, it was Microsoft Bing. I was a designer at the time, freelancing, and then you walked down the hall. I was like, yo, is that Layla? Yeah. What the fuck? And it was crazy, and then I was there for like the next few weekends. Yeah, I remember, and then you just moved on, and you continued to grow and fucking rule the world with all your design and traveling and breakdance. Do you still breakdance? Yo, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but Rich can breakdance. Like, for real. Like, he's a b-boy. Oh, my God. I know. It's so ingrained in my DNA. It's like, I still watch b-boy videos, like, on Saturday morning. Uh, but, uh, no, I still do. On occasion, I get, like, mm-hmm. a set in a year Mm-hmm. You know, just to and see if my bones still have it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do that every now and then. I'm just like, I'll take a dance class and I want to see if I can still have it. I'm like, oh, okay, things are getting a little slower, <laughs> but I still have it. Ain't nobody right. going to tell me anything. You look exactly the same. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you haven't aged a day. Thank you. Thank you. You know yeah. what my secret is? What's that? Um, a couple of things. I quit dairy. Oh. Can't fuck with the dairy. No really? dairy. Um, and then I have a gluten intolerance, so that's the other thing. But diet, oh, my diet, just like gotcha. really clean diet. Well, you're big into fitness culture too, right? Yeah, 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 with the whole thing. With the whole thing, that, and then like, cause I I come from a history, a family history of serious medical conditions. Gotcha. Like, you know, so I said, okay, let me let me see what I can do. Preventative measures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god, yo! I, I, as I'm creeping towards forty. Like that's what all I'm thinking about. You have you have, you have a baby face. I'm like, no, you're not. It's true. I'll show you the driver's license right now. Well, oh, well, well one day I'm gonna fall off the cliff. <laughs> but but you're in the same boat. It's like I think we're just Benjamin buttoning ourselves. Right, we are. We are. And then when we're sixty, we're like, yo, that's that's it. <laughs> well, when we're, we're sixty, we're like, wow, you look old as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> 
Like, you got another 20 years. Well, <laughs> 20 plus years. <laughs> oh, well, thank God. you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a great intro. <laughs> well, so for our listeners, the way we always start the podcast is uh, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and where you're from, mm-hmm. um, your upbringing, and then we'll just take it from there and just love to cool. dig into all that amazing creative work that you're into. Awesome. So my full name is Leila Tatiana Rosario, and I am from the Bronx of New York, born and raised. I'm an only child. My family's from Puerto Rico. And I knew growing up poor that if I wanted to get out of the hood, then I had to just stay focused. And Mm -hmm. also to, um, you know, I I joke around with my friends now and say, like, there's an uptown sneaker on one foot and then there's like (laughs) the red bottom on the other one. So let's not get it twisted. But (laughs) so there's a little bit of on one red bottom on the other. Exactly. And um and yeah, we grew up, you know, we grew up poor in one bedroom apartment over in the highway in the Bronx. And I would escape reality and my trauma by riding, photographing, riding my bicycle in the streets. Um, my mom had an old camera and I would use that to just escape and then create these portraits, portraitures of people in the street. Um, use that as a way to just develop an eye at an early age. And I knew at a very early age that I wanted to be a creative and I didn't know what that meant as a kid, but I just knew that that was the, the choice of direction for me. And that's where it felt comfortable. Right. Right. And um, my voice, my voice, and my voice too. I'm like, what's happening with mine? And uh, yeah. And, and, and moving on from that, you know, just my parents reminded me that although we did not have much, they gave me the opportunity to explore the city. So I would go to the museums. I would, you know, find activities that were for free and be able to just socialize. And Mm. because I am an only child, like for me, I really had to put myself out there to just make friends and see what other opportunities are out there. And then moving on, when I was a teenager, my mom came across this newspaper article that Urban Well Film Festival was looking for volunteers. And my mom caught on that, oh, my kid likes film. Yeah. So she took me to... What films were you looking at at the time? Like, what, what was in, in your youth? Yeah, like, what were the visuals that were... Sci-fi. So, oh, um, my, Yeah, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. So growing up, I was watching Close Encounter of the Third Kind, Alien. Um, oh, I, was I just what, saw the first Alien at a IFC Theater not too long ago. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah, so good. So good. Uh, what else I can say? Uh, Time Bandits. And then I, wow. I also loved adventure films. So, like... Indiana Jones and the mm-hmm. Last Crusade. So the films like that caught I like it just really gave me a sense of travel and I always was saying to myself, "Oh my god, I want to be able to explore that." So for for me it was like sci-fi and adventure at a mm-hmm. very early age. Those are the kind of films and my fat my dad is a huge film buff, so we would that was our thing. We would do that together or we would watch films at home. And I, um, yeah, so moving on. Anyway, I got my internship. Uh, I, I, I interned for the summer at Urban Well Film Festival at 15. That exposed me to the opportunity of reading scripts coming in. So when submissions would get ta- uh, submitted into the festival, volunteer coordinators would ask me to help assist them and vet through the scripts. Oh, that's so at 15, so they were like, hey, Layla, here's another script coming in take a read, take a read, take a read. So I was part of the process of deciding which scripts were going to be submitted and also be accepted. And then also watching How old were you at that time? 15. 15. I was 15. So that exposed me to the film festival market at an early age. 
And I did really seeing a process, really seeing a process. So that from 15 to 17, I was doing film festivals during the summertime and I did a few other ones. And again, it just it it's interesting now, full circle, the friends that I made then Mm. where we're at now and everyone that I met then we're all still in the industry. We've all our glow up is real. Like we've, we've stayed on the path, so to speak, even though there's no direct path, but mm-hmm. you stay in the business and it does pay off. So, and then I went to college, I went to NYU for film and television. I decided to focus on cinematography, not directing at that time. Talk us through the the NYU experience, the right. NYU film experience, because it is one of the, uh, it's it's a hallowed ground for a lot of filmmakers. Right. I, so the NYU experience for me, I graduated in 2004. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me, <clears throat> the way I look at education, education is not just, you know, going to university mm-hmm. or just something that you pick up in a book. It's life experiences. Yeah. And also nowadays with so many resources such as YouTube University, uh, panels, discussions and so forth and technology that's advanced the process of filmmaking, directing, cinematography, production in general. Mm-hmm. For me, though, being that I was in my early 20s, in the early 2000s, I didn't have all those resources that yeah. now we have in the pocket, in, in the palm of our hand. Yeah. So I chose to go to school and apply for New York University and get into that program to have a sense of discipline, mm-hmm. understanding the production process, and more importantly, I stand by this, understanding technical the technical side. Yeah. Because once you the get... The craft side. The craft side. And once you get your mind wrapped around lighting, color temperature... How do you light someone? Yeah. Um, framing that you apply that to anything, and when you have a sense of understanding technical, the technical side of filmmaking, you could take that anywhere, and you really are going to make. I do believe you are a stronger asset, you're a stronger producer, you're a stronger director. Yeah. When you know to, <clears throat> excuse me, when you know how to articulate and communicate to your team from a technical standpoint this is what I'm looking to achieve. Yeah. Can we try this? And also too, when you're working, when you understand it. Um, as a producer, when I'm bidding a job and I'm looking at a production budget and I see that something is a little padded or a little mm, bullshit, yeah. I can say, hey, can we adjust these numbers? Can we talk about this? Right. Because I do think that you're fluffing it a bit in the camera department. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having the wisdom right. and the knowledge to be able to yeah. push, yeah, yeah. to push back and like... But I loved NYU. I loved it. I, I got to, you know, shoot edit um and at the time we were still working on film so understanding how to develop a negative yeah understanding that process it's an art form and a beautiful art form and craft in itself and for me like it was the best I, it, honestly i absolutely enjoy going to nyu so oh, really? i'm really proud that i got to go there and graduate from the department what type of work were you doing when you got out so while I was, while I was a little bit of both, while I was in NYU and going to, when I, when I was at NYU, excuse me, I was working in the production department there. And then I also had another, and then I had a full-time job in New Jersey at a company called M2 Communications, where I was oh. an assistant video editor. And then when I grabbed- And you would commute to New Jersey from New York? You do the reverse commute? I would do the reverse commute. Oh, wow. It was crazy. And then going to school full-time. So I was just never sleeping. And yeah. <laughs> which yep. we'll talk about that in a minute. And, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about self-care. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. And um, and then when I when I was in my last year in school, a friend of mine, she told me about a program which is called BUNAC, B-U-N-A-C. And at the time, they did have 
visas for Americans to work and live in London. Yeah. And I said, yo, I want to go and work and live in London and I want to work in production. I applied. Like if you're applying for college, I got my visa. I graduated from NYU. I was out. I went to London and from there, humble beginnings. This was before LinkedIn. I had a hundred resumes. I went into the Soho part of London, handed out my resumes, went into the moving picture company, one of the biggest VFX companies. I went in with my New York state of mind. I was like, I want to work here. Yeah. I want to be a production assistant. Yeah. I have a visa. I can work here. And the receptionist, I don't know his name, but he asked me, he was like, where are you from? I'm from New York. <laughs> Next day, went on an interview, got the fucking job. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So gully. So gully. Got the job. Got the job as a production assistant. And then fresh that, out. Fresh out. And that really was a pivotal point in my early career at the age of 22 living in London mm -hmm. and showing myself I could do it like I like if you really just put your mind to it you can do it and I got my job and how long were you in London for I was in London for a little under a year and then I came back uh for family reasons my dad got sick but while I was there it exposed me to international business yeah and also to just of like different cultures languages communication how you know visual effects as well and at mm. the time too tim burton was um over at the moving picture company for uh the remake of willy wonka and the chocolate factory oh, yes, with yes, johnny depp yeah. and so i was able to see wow that was 2005 five yeah damn that's so long that was ago. so long ago so moving forward from that i came back to the states and i just continued to work in production and hustle. wait did you spend time with tim burton at all no i didn't got it i did not what did you glean from that era because I, I remember that era of filmmaking was very much within that uh like a fantastical space like almost pure escapism but also in a post 9 11 space like we'd kind of just mentally gotten out of the the mud <laughs> the mental mud of right. that experience um what did i what did i get from you mean working there or from the filmmaking like just seeing like the process of storytelling I, I guess well I guess what I'm asking is like what did you get from that era of filmmaking also in in relation to like that Tim the Tim Burton of it all yeah. and like what well, is there anything that you glean from that that kind of informs you today yeah I mean Tim Burton is one of my favorite directors so although I did not see him at the time coming sure. in and out I was able to peek at sure. <laughs> you know um the stages of visual effects that were going into his film and oh. seeing that was such an eye-opener of how you must much, go through a lot of previs so much previs so much previs and just seeing the process of going from one 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 scene to the next mm. and like the development of it was exciting and then also for me like, too, yo helen helena bottom carter's head is mad big, <laughs> mad big. <laughs> and the rendering time understanding like how much rendering time it takes to do these things yeah. so for me being there it it showed me that like we were in like you said fantastical time yeah a, a level of escapism also to a type of fantasy that is very vibrant and colorful. Yes. And for yes. me, like that reminds me that that's what Tim Burton owns. He owns a right. very, a very magical and very extreme contrast, vibrant side. And, uh, and he's been that way since the Beetlejuice era Absolutely, and even prior yeah. to that. So that's what I've got from working there. And then a lot of the people that I made friends with who were production assistants, then I'm still friends with now yeah. I'm actually working um, on a feature film with, my old boss so oh and really that's, that's cool start, we're, we're starting to work on that so yeah so that was the era of me after school <laughs> wow and then how did you end up at uh how did you get towards jwt because i guess that there's like 
between you and me personally, yeah. there's there's probably like a five-year space there. Yeah. How'd you get into the ad game? So how I got into the ad game was I was not making enough money as a camera assistant or mm-hmm. even just as a PA when I came back to America, mm-hmm. back to New York. And I realized that I needed something a little bit more. And yeah. I also felt like my experience was not valued enough. So I applied at the time, I applied for a job as a digital uh, uh, producer assistant. And I got into the art directors club and then the one club. Got it. So that was oh. like the foundations of And we've me. seen each other at those events too. Yes. So ADC... And also, too, the One Club were, I want to say, was the foundation of me getting into advertising. When my contract was up at ADC, I went to the One Club. Long story short, one day a friend of mine, Tiffany Edwards, I love you, girl. Thank you for inviting me. She invited me to a JWT mixer. And at the time, the CEO of the company was saying, we need diversity. We need more women here. We're looking for this. And I was like, I'm just going to go up to him. Because yeah. this is this is what works for me. I just go up to you like, hey, are you looking for this? Like, ask. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I went up to him, told him what I did. He goes, come over here. Let me show, introduce you to the recruiter. Four interviews later, I got the job as an associate producer. And that was the history of me getting into production as a producer. Wow. Yeah. And JWT was the first agency. It was my first agency. Damn. And you did like Tagware there too? Am I wrong? At I did that? Rolex. Oh, Rolex. Yeah. Yes, I yes, did yes. Rolex, watch, yes. Macy's, <clears throat> and Smirnoff. And I also touched some things on Pharma. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. That's a full, that's a full boat. Full oh, boat. Yeah. And, and I will say my job, my, my, my boss and other, my bosses at the time, they were very, very, um, Discipline, like everything from cross your T's, dot your eyes, like be buttoned up, yeah, hot sheets, follow up, all that shit. Like that does matter. Those logistical parts of production, it's Absolutely, not always glamorous. Yeah. Like you have to be buttoned up on things. And I want to thank you know, you know my my teachers and my mentors at the time, yeah, for putting that kind of discipline and schooling in me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's an amazing. You know that that's just amazing. Like just holistic schooling, mm-hmm. especially like. I, th- I think about the path that you've taken. It's everyone has their own way to get to the thing, mm-hmm. but there's you ha- need a certain level of just not just assertiveness, but also the willingness to over ask yeah. and over ask for the thing, and also just have the courage to physically ask because sometimes people don't even do it. Right, and and the four interviews I went on for the first three was for another position at JWT, and I did not get hired for it, and I was so pissed that I was not considered <laughs> that I went back to the recruiter. I was like, here you really need to reconsider me. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then when a job opened up for for associate producer in the production department, she brought me in. My boss at the time, Sergio Lopez, He, I think he's still at McCann in London. Mm. He, um, he didn't even look at my resume. He was like, what do you shoot on? What kind of camera? And then we just had a technical conversation. And That's so cool. And that's what, like, really, he was just like, yeah, she's hired. She knows what she's talking about. She's, yeah. And... Yeah, so that was that. Thanks, Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sergio. <laughs> so, like, uh, so in terms of like, your world and the references that you bring into your work, mm-hmm. um, when you're in the space to to create, like, what what type of cultural background are you really trying to put in something? Like, do you ever think about that aside from like a client need? Let's say I'm always thinking about like my POV of um, you know wanting to bring in a, an element of otherness mm-hmm. into my work and also at least something that um, even if it doesn't overtly say it something that at least addresses inclusion in some way yeah. whether it's through like little uh, little you know like a palette decision mm-hmm. or whether it's an aesthetic decision that it seems 
unconventional or non-Eurocentric, you know, like, like d does your, is your decision-making process affected by your cultural background? Yes and no at the same time sure. because it depends on the project itself yep. and also depends on the role because mm -hmm. I, I'm a producer, director, and DP. When I am, so for the yes part, when I am producing something and I'm producing for a client, I am really being mindful of the creative mm -hmm. and, but also to, I'm at a point in my career where I feel very comfortable and confident to have open discussions on when I don't feel that there's a level of inclusion. And when I see that, or if I see a misrepresentation or if something feels like there's we're appropriating a culture yes. and taking advantage yes, yes. of a community, I will ask for everyone to circle back on the creative and take into consideration right. my recommendations. I have also take been, another look. Take another look, and I've also just flat out just like, yo, this this does not work. Like, yeah. are you like you're not being empathetic or you're not being mindful? Yeah. Um, and then if I'm asked why, I can also speak from my personal cultural background. Or I can share a bigger lens or another lens or a different POV. Yeah. Um, and for directing, I I am passionate about telling um, stories, documentaries, also to taking on um, a responsibility as being a woman, being a Latinx, yeah. being Boricua, where that already is so many fucking layers of how Puerto Ricans are treated yes. and how, you know, we're, we're treated like we're second class citizens. And, and like, there's, there's a huge, there's a lot of turmoil going on and understanding that although all of that is happening, I still, you can't, you can't shake my spirit. You can't break that down. You can't tell me who I am. Yeah. I know who I am and I know the history of my family and also where we come from. And there's that, that's that Boricua pride, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hell and, yeah. and I carry that, you know, through my work and I'm proud of that and I'm proud to represent that. And when I'm DPing, I, for me, I, I like to see a lot of color. Yep. And I like to see a lot of contrast. And I think that has to do with just my cultural background as well. Yeah. Um, just being on the island, there's so many beautiful flowers. You know, the the nature in itself. Are you involved in ad color? Do you know the ad color community? No. By the two Tiffany's. Oh, like. Oh wait, uh, I I'm a, a familiar with ad color, but I'm not involved. Oh really? Oh, I feel like you should be. Oh, well, that's yeah. an aside. Yeah, yeah on the side, guys. Yeah, I'm we can side. talk about that. And gals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for. When it comes to representation behind the scenes, right? Um, well, like, let's talk about that. Oh yeah, we can, I would love to talk about that. Like, what have you seen? Well, a, what are the pain points? What's missing? I think our audience. This is an educational space, and you know, a lot of uh, uh, listeners are are want to break into the industry, mm -hmm. and they want to know exactly what it takes to to be an other, and also and and be a part of it in a meaningful way. So. On camera, obviously, there's a representation problem. Yeah. But behind the scenes, behind the camera, there's a ton of represent representation problem problems, plural, <clears throat> especially when it comes to the to the individuals that are telling the stories and that have control over the stories. You mean how when white people try to tell stories? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. When white people try to tell brown people stories. No yes. disrespect to my allies. <laughs> But sometimes I know sometimes <laughs> I'm like, a lot of times. let's like get somebody else to write it, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what, what do you, what has you, have you seen change in the past few years? Like for the better Yeah. and what can get better? So how we, and when I say we, I mean, 
the universal we of yep. advertising. How we've done business before is very passe. It's yeah. so passe. Um, what I am noticing and how we can improve is it is to continue to have dialogues, is to continue to have open spaces and areas of improvement, to call things out when they're not working, to, mm-hmm. to also hire people. Hire more women, hire more LGBTQ, hire Asians, hire African-Americans, hire Africans, hire everyone that you can, because then that is also going to strengthen the brand and also your business as well. If you and I say if you but if if a business is just hiring over and over the same type of person, Mm, you're losing out on a bigger scope of things. And we're not there yet. You miss the opportunity, they miss an opportunity, everyone misses. Everyone misses. So the work is being done, the conversations are, are, are popping, we just need to keep moving forward with it, continue to be consistent in growing that conversation, continue to have the panel discussions, continue to have the mixers, Mm -hmm. continue to have a diversity committee at an ad agency and really just, and also too, I want to say some diversity committees at ad agencies are a little closed-minded. Oh yeah. And I feel some kind of way about that. Yeah. And I think that there needs to be a A lot of diversity committees, quote unquote, diversity committees are fucking whack. Really fucking whack. Yeah. And there has to be, also to an understanding of when you say diversity committee, let's not saturate that word so much because I hear that word so much of diversity, inclusion, diversity, inclusion. We need to have diversity. What right. the fuck are you actually trying to say? Exactly. Yeah. You it, know, it, so there has it stigmatizes actually. It, it and, does. Yeah. It's not, and it's not cool. It, it, it somehow flattens the conversation, but it, it normalizes it in a wrong way because Absolutely. it normalizes the mentality of otherness and then it just re-stigmatizes the whole situation. The whole situation. And then it becomes clicky. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you're not part of this diversity committee. Yeah. So you can't be part of that. And I'm like, I can't, I cannot committee. be bothered with any of that shit. Yeah. I'm going to talk about it, though. Yeah. So um, where do I see areas of improvement? Um, obviously, equal pay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Let's talk about money. Um, and that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and just from a personal experience, I can tell you that I still have challenges when I am in the bargaining or negotiation Mm. phase where numbers are going to get thrown at me that are significantly lower. And then if I come and ask for something that I know that I deserve, I get questioned as to why I think I deserve that. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, look at my work, look at the numbers, look at the amount of sales. Like I come in to make you money. So if I'm coming in to make you money, you should also understand that I'm worth what I'm asking for. Yeah. So, and also women take charge and in general, like men have, and this might be, you know, generalizing things a bit, but I want more women to be comfortable in asking for that. Because if you don't ask for your salary or the salary that you deserve, then one, it does weaken the market. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by weakening the market is that it's not it's not creating a, a sense of understanding and awareness because I'm not a mind reader. And so, and maybe your boss or someone who's hiring you is not a mind reader. Maybe they think that you're going to be okay with whatever amount of money that they're offering. Challenge that. Challenge that because if somebody really wants you and they want to hire you, they're going to find the extra $10,000, $15,000 to make you happy and comfortable and loyal and appreciate and respect right. you. So that's one thing that I think, you know, just, and also to just, Another thing that I think we can, you know, continue to improve is mental health, physical health. And we can talk, you know, we can talk about that. 
Right. How do you unwind or how do you not unwind? How do you recharge, mm-hmm. uh, refill the battery? And also like what, what is your current state around the hustle mindset? And because I'm, I'm thinking that like the era that we came up in was like all hustle. It was just like, we're going to grind until we're dust. Oh my God. You know? And then now, of course, we're all thinking about mental health for, and hopefully for the better. What does that mean? Because the, the need for content, the content <laughs> monster will never go away. It will never go it's away. It's only getting worse. <laughs> so then how does one balance that? And then, yeah. And then how do you physically yeah. no, maintain all great, yourself? All great questions. Um, so recently... Burnout is officially a medical condition. Oh, that's interesting. And to me, success burnout like like on the in the DSM or burnout like from a physical like like a physical mental really? like you physically burning out at work, overload, overworked, exerted. That is now it is now officially a medical condition. Yeah. So success to me is a healthy balance between work and personal life mm. because no one is going to care as much about your personal health. Mm. as much as you are. And yes, I am so happy to see that there are more independent workshops, panels, and groups that are being introduced into office life. I'm here for providing a healthier and happier work environment. I personally have suffered from quite a few burnouts in my career. Oh, really? And that's no bueno. And I choose now for my mental health, how I am able to find, how I found my balance is one, I chose a freelance life. Mm. And in 2017... And you're freelance I, now? I'm freelance now. And you're DDB now, Spike DDB. My I just wrapped my contract there. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. and I'm on to a new agency starting next week. And you've been freelance the whole time? I have not. Oh, I, okay. I started freelancing in 2017. Gotcha. And 2017, on a personal tip, I had five losses in my in my family and wow. in my friend circle. I lost five people that year. Wow. Then I had gotten laid off from a full-time job. And I, and I internally knew that I needed to break free from the from the wheel because I had been full-time for so long. I had been mm. working for so long. And I noticed that me burning out, those burnout phases that I had, it crippled me. It physically and mentally crippled me. I ended up in the hospital quite a few times because of the burnout. And then I realized in 2017, you know what? I've been saying I wanted to do freelance. Me getting laid off was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Fuck it, I'm going to go for it. And I've been freelancing for two years now. And how I, how I decompress is... I take time in between projects. So I'll get contracted for a few productions Mm -hmm. and then I take time in between that. And what I do in between that, I'll volunteer, I'll travel, I'll work on my my personal life. Um, I'm building things with my partner. And um, physical fitness is important. Cycling, dancing, uh, meditation, prayer, Mm -hmm. all those things to keep me in check and to keep my wires sort of in check. And when I'm not feeling correct, I know that I have the flexibility to be able to take some time and most importantly, rest and yeah. learning to say no to people. All this like, hey, let's meet up. Hey, let's meet up. I've learned to sort of put soft boundaries so I have personal time and you're rich. Sometimes I'll just be at home with nothing on. No TV, no music, nothing. And just I want to sit in silence sometimes. Yeah. And I don't want anybody fucking bothering me. Yeah. And I need that time. Even from my partner, I'll say to him, Hey, I need a little bit of space. Yep. You need a little bit of space and just create what that's how I decompress. Yes. And, yes. Um, and you know, photography, art galleries, like all those things to recharge. So that's how I recharge. How do I get inspired? I go to the art, uh, sorry, art exhibits, museums. I paint. Yeah. I started painting in 2017 when I lost my friend. And that was that year that I told you the burnout year. 
And when I lost my friend, that, that he was my twin flame. He was my, he was my heart. And when I lost him, he worked in advertising too. It crippled me. And he was a painter. He was a creative director at Huge. Huge is an ad agency, folks. And um, he told me one day before he passed away, he was like, hey, pick up a brush. And I was like, nah, that's you. Like, I'm a producer, this, that, that's what I do. And I was so busy controlling my own, I guess, opportunity to expand what it is to be an artist and a creative mm. that he taught me to not do that. And I paint now. Now I've painted like over 35 pieces. Wow, that's amazing. And I've given most of them away. And I guess the way I would describe my artwork is abstract. A lot of it was very dark and deep in the beginning. Yeah. And it affected me. You know, his death affected me. So that came out on canvas. And now I'm able to look at things differently. Shading, uh, line work. Yeah. Shapes. And uh, yeah, so that's been another great way for me to decompress and recharge. Do you feel like you've come out of the other side? Do you feel like you've able been able to find daylight out of dark spaces? Yes. And, and also, and, and I know in my life, I've, I've realized in moments when I've, I've redlined, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'm thinking like, okay, things are very intense. And then maybe in a, pre, a previous version of myself would not have handled it so well. Yeah. But then now I'm kind of um, very conscious of when I'm hitting those moments. Mm-hmm. But then also I, I had the very recent realization of like how to work out of a crisis and then what it feels like to to come out the other side and then not have like you know uh <laughs> rage like a rage quit right <laughs> you rage, know what i mean yo rage quit is real rage quit is real and i, I don't know if that's just a getting older thing <laughs> i don't know if that's like you know like the self-care movement right. thing um i do i do see a brighter side of things yeah and <laughs> the rage quit. Man, I'm laughing to myself because I'm thinking, I've had those moments. I'm like, I'm Hell just going to yeah. quit today. Fuck it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. Deal yeah. with it on your own. Fuck all of you. <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. You cool. Fuck you. I'm out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so what I did before and what I don't do anymore, yes. before I would take on, take on, take on and not speak up. And I would, and I did that part of it is culturally just and what I mean culturally like, culturally is like you know just like oh you know understanding that it's okay to take on and not say much and don't be a burden to people and yeah. and that comes from the generation of my parents right like don't be a burden and I don't do that anymore when I see that before we get to that red line mm-hmm. I will communicate that at work and if it's from a physical and or mental standpoint mm-hmm. I will also reach out and say hey I need support do we have a budget to get an assistant? Right. I can't do this on my own. Right. I can't do all of this. And say that because, one, if I don't say that and I fuck up, it's yeah. my fault. If if I do say it, at least I warned someone and said, I told you. I told you I needed help. And this is like I'm trying yes. to av- avoid a burnout. And that almost I happened. I threw the line out there. I threw the line out there. Yeah. You know, and just make that clear. So I don't do that anymore and take on, take on and not speak up when when the ship is about to sink. So yeah. I, I, I will say something before that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, same boat, completely same boat, but also I'm actually a little bit better about shit. Just not being so perfect all the time. Word. You know, like, yeah. like my, my creative, uh, my creative control mindset. Um, I've gotten so much better about like, you know, distributing my energy in a more efficient way that well doesn't, said. you know, kill me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's part survival, but also part growth. Yeah. Right? Hopefully, I think. And I think also at the end of the day, um, as, as we're growing, you know, because um, you're doing some amazing stuff. Like, Thank you. It gives us more opportunity to, to touch a bigger variety, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. And, and I, the, the, I'm in a space right now. I'm in a really good space in my life where the growth that I've done um, from a personal and professional standpoint, mm. I feel that that now I have more of an understanding of it and understanding my my sensitivities, my trauma, my what I need for my mental stability, and also to what I do need from a financial standpoint and being able to work with that every day and creating and cultivating my own space and not asking for permission for that anymore yeah. like I was before. Definitely. And uh, so for that, that also brings me internal joy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's so funny, like the mentality of permission mm-hmm. because I feel like people like you and me, mm-hmm. we it was ingrained in us to ask for permission when there is a much larger segment of this country that doesn't ask for permission. <laughs> right. So maybe they should start asking for permission more yeah. <laughs> and then we should start, uh, we should ask for less permission. Right. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Uh, tell me about the gig. Yes. Yeah. I want to know about the gig. Cause I was watching, yeah. <laughs> I was watching the episode when, uh, when y'all were talking about, uh, how great retouchers should start in the porn industry. Right. <laughs> and, then, and then someone retouching a stab wound yeah. <laughs> off of a porn star. I was, I was cracking up. I was like, this is ridiculous. But also it's true. It's like, right. like you don't know retouching until you're physically working with a person's body. Right. Absolutely. And so the gig is started out of a few reasons. So my creative partner, my let's work that back a bit. My creative partner, Jessica L. Ransom, she is also senior producer. She works in advertising as Mm -hmm. well. Um, She and I, we've been friends for many years. And the gig came from a place of seeing lack of representation of women of color producers. Yes. And also LGBTQ representation of discussing what it actually means to be a producer, what goes on in the production process, and also adding pop culture, talking about films, giving film reviews and critiques, right. and also bringing people... Y'all are entertaining. It's just, thank you it's so just much. Entertainment. And, bring, and bringing people on board to talk about their area of expertise. Yes. So it's a starting vlog. We started it earlier this year. Well, actually, we started it last year. Long story short, I told Jessica like ages ago, I was like, yo, we should do something like this. She's like, I don't know. And then finally last year she said, okay, yeah, let's do this. Let's fucking make it happen. Exactly. So why not do it? Look at some of the other shit that does get made. <laughs> right? So we're, we're, we're happy to say we've got three, you know, full episodes and a shit ton of to- uh, to- uh, sorry, content that we've been just slowly pushing out and just creating an awesome space that also adds entertainment, like you said. Mm-hmm. And she and I, we have a natural chemistry where we just, none of this is rehearsed. Yeah. Yes, we write things and we'll have it as a reference guide, but we're not reading from a script. Like right. it'll be on paper and we'll just have that as a reference point. But she and I are just feeding off of each, yeah. off of each other's just energy. Just spitballing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. How important is it, do you think, the industry right now, I mean, obviously it's important, um, to to do a 180 within the representational space, but also what, how is the industry recovering within the Me Too era? Mm. Oof, how is the I know, in- that's a big question. Yeah, how is the industry... Do I, what do you see happening behind the scenes that are trying to correct all those wrongs? I think people are... It goes back to the not asking for permission anymore. Yeah. And 
and I see professionals who are friends of mine who are creating the platform that they don't see representing what they want to see represented. Yeah. And I think part of that is the healing process when we're not letting someone else tell our narrative and we're there to tell our our story, our truth, what yeah. that truth is. So I think that is a key part to um, shifting the culture mm-hmm. in advertising is being able to create these spaces and content. So this is why there's so many, you know, vlogs that are out right now and podcasts that are out right now because there's not I don't believe that there's going to be one show that's going to cover everything. I yeah. don't believe that there's going to be one group of people that's going to be able to achieve all of that and it's a beautiful thing to witness right. the accessibility to just finding what your tribe is and finding what, you know, speaks to you and because we have technology now that can give us those platforms at a cost-effective you know, sort of price point we're talking yeah. about from a money standpoint, go speak your mind, like create what you don't see and let people react to it. Create what you don't see. That's dope. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just typing it. Word. <laughs> um, how, what, what's your, uh, what's your release schedule for that? How that's so content's hard. Content is hard y'all. And she and I are both producers by, by nature. And so I can tell you what our production challenges have been. Right. So this is a labor of love. We're doing this when we're we're also working full time. When I am on projects, I'm working full time. She's working full time all the time. We're always busy. So we created a shooting schedule and a rollout run of show for 16 episodes. Mm. We've shot. And that's a season. And that's a season. I'm sorry. It's two seasons. Eight per. Got so it. we're on season one. We've shot actually four right now. So we're halfway through. The goal for the gig, y'all, help us out, is to get both both seasons done and then we want this, we want a deal. Yeah. We want to be able to go to Hollywood, go to the Producers Guild of America, Writers Guild of America and say, hey, we've been able to do this. Yes. We come from the advertising world. We know what we're talking about. We don't see anything done like this right now that has two women of color mm-hmm. um, who are talking who, who are specifically talking about entertainment, pop culture, and production, and then bringing our fucking friends on set. Like, we we went to, you know, talk about the sound history of sound design, and that's going to be an episode that, that people will be able to see, understanding sound design. Things like that and giving accessibility to the masses to see how they can get jobs. We talk about how you can get jobs all across the board. So what we want from this is that once we get to that point, we have the financial backing and distribution to say, hey this is going to be a more polished and wider budget and, yes. and, a, and, an ex, and a budget for this. And we think that we are onto something. Oh, that's amazing. No, no, more power to that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I think... But other, it's hard. It is. Oh, my God. It's so hard. And it's, it's so like hard. and it's like you got to constantly make, make, make. And there are days where we're like, yo, we're working and we can't get to it. I know. <laughs> we need an intern. Who wants to intern for the I, gig? Yo, seriously. Like, I need an intern. <laughs> right. Can we both get interns? <laughs> please. Any listener who want to be an intern for the gig and also for First Gen Burden, please. Please. Help us <laughs> Don't out. Don't hesitate to send an email for the love of God. Slide in the DM. For real. Um, yeah, so I would love to talk a little bit about also the uh, colonization specifically. Yep. Like within within the lens of our industry because I think that our nations, Philippines, and also well, Puerto Rico, of course, mm-hmm. um, being a commonwealth, there is that history of colonization, also the mindset of colonization. And it's something that I think bleeds into the creative infrastructure mm-hmm. of this 
nation and also especially New York. Yeah. Like, it, what can we do to to release ourselves of that mindset? And I, I think about it a lot about reclaiming my indigenous roots. Yeah. And then reclaiming my indigenous sensibilities through the lens of my creative output. How do you do that? Um, that's a great question. I haven't figured it out. No. <laughs> uh, so, no. Well, I was, I, I was in the Philippines, right? Okay. I hadn't been back there since I was 10. And then I was um, listening to an amazing talk by uh, the creator of uh, Team Manila. Um, shout out to Joey, right? So uh, he, he gave a talk. Joey gave a talk about the history of uh, Filipino design dating back to the revolutionary era, mm. right? Uh, their revolutionary era, all the way up to um, the turn of the century, uh, whereas like, you know, travel posters and stuff like that, pre-World War II, post-World War II, mm. up until now. And it felt like such a unique creative track, right? It was such a unique creative track that felt, I, it felt familiar to me because the visuals are things that I'm familiar with just growing up in being familiar with Filipino culture, but so different from the education that I was given here in New York, right? Through the lens of uh, Eurocentric sensibilities, for lack of a better way to say it. it. It wasn't even like a solve for anything. It was more just like opening up new new chambers and new new mind palaces <laughs> that, that, would, that would give insight down the road. It was like, you know, how do we give validity to uh, to an underserved community through our creative lens, um, um, and and everything in between. I know that's that's more of just like a meditation on it, and it's not even a solve. But uh, yeah, like I'm 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 thinking, how do we make stuff more interesting and be more valid to culture and actually speak to a demographic that we really want to talk to and give power to the demographic and not talk down to them? Like I don't want to fucking sell. Uh, I don't want to sell. I'm pulling this brand out of my air, out of the air. I don't want to sell Cheetos <laughs> to 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 brown people because we think brown people buy Cheetos. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So I uh, yes, I do. And what, shout out to Cheetos. I love Cheetos. <laughs> I can't because I'm lactose intolerant. So <laughs> shout out to Cheetos anyway. Fair. There you go. <laughs> Make dairy free. Um, <laughs> so I think. I think giving access. Yes. Is number one. I think fostering, I think giving access is important. And I also think fostering talent. So for example, if I'm able to give access to resources and I have the resources and the means to be able to provide and hire and contract an individual and or a company and or a group that is going to be able to expand the lens and the story and diversify, then I feel I've done my job. And why I say that is because it comes down to not everyone has access to media. Not everyone has access to the production resources to be able to empower themselves to tell the stories. So for those around who do, do your part if you're not in giving back to the youth, in going to areas, and if you can't go to areas different parts of the world then find communities and organizations that you can reach out to Mm. and support those local communities and groups that are looking to give us a global access right to it to be able to diversify the lens right in advertising it's so interesting how uh certain communities are like hot at a certain point Mm -hmm. certain things are hot but i think now or at least i hope to think now 
that there is more validity with the content makers that are coming from the source. Like, like I think of the Bronx, right? Mm-hmm. The Bronx is so popping right now. <laughs> it's I was like, I've never seen the Bronx more popping <laughs> since like since hip hop was right. created. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like between Cardi B, Jesus and Miro, right. and everything in between, there's so much happening. There's so much happening. It is. And yeah. and you know But it the, feels like ownership. Yeah. It, there's a level of ownership and not, you know, it's not I, yeah. The 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 level of ownership too, so I think New Yorkers in general, and I feel like people from Newark can all, or in, Jer- in Jersey, oh, yeah. can, re- can, can, um, there's still uh, a stigma with Jersey, though. <laughs> all right, let's talk about New York, then. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disrespect Jersey. Next. Uh, <laughs> I love I, a good Lauren Hill reference. <laughs> right. I, I think that, um, I think in general, anyone from the five boroughs, has always been prideful that they're from New York. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, so t- the way I look at it as the Bronx has always been popping, y'all just catching up. That's true. So you're just catching up to the awesomeness of what Brooklyn, you know, got the love. Manhattan always gets the love. Shout out to Lonely Staten Island. Y'all need some love too. <laughs> and Queens always got the love. But the Bronx has always been popping. Y'all yeah. just catching up right now. Staten and Island always needed help. Yeah, Staten Island, y'all need help. They need, literally needed like a, a group of eight guys <laughs> that, were, that were all mutually down for it in order to throw any love at it. Like Wu-Tang, shout out. <laughs> exactly. But, um, but yeah, so I, I think that. I think it's just, you know, we've always been there. It's just now people are catching on to it. And also people are understanding that so much history has come from the Bronx. Yeah. Musically, um, we're talking about sports. You know, yes. you have the New York Yankees. Also, too, just the amount of resources that are coming from the Bronx. But what I would like to say is that Mott Haven is getting gentrified. You know, mm. you've got areas in the west part of the Bronx, which is where I'm originally from, that is getting gentrified. And not to say that gentrification, there isn't a bonus and a plus in that. But when businesses that have a very large corporate footprint is coming into small communities make sure that you are also being mindful that when you are putting your business into the community you're giving back in some way yeah and you are also providing jobs and not actually pushing people out of their neighborhoods if they you know give them the choice and the opportunity to say okay i can get a job at target you know they're not going to discriminate against me because of for whatever reason right so those companies that are coming in um, we need to set up like a set of parameters for like a gentrification <laughs> footprint. Right. It's like a carbon footprint <laughs> right. type of thing. Like, how, well, how can we set those KPIs up? Yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah. How can we do that? I have no idea. <laughs> we'll if, have to figure it out. Exactly. Well, wh- whatever intern wants to, <laughs> <laughs> whatever interns are interested. Right. Help. <laughs> but so, you know, the whole rezoning is a real issue. Right. I, um, I'm in Uptown in the Inwood area and that's really affecting the community that I'm in. Yeah. Yes. And I jokingly say to my neighbors in my building, like, yo, did you see that new white family that just moved in? Shit's about to get real up in here. Yo, they just replaced the floors because they came in. But they've been fucking dirty for three years. Like, oh my God. Like, oh my Those God. Those floors are real as right, hell. exactly. Those this floors elevator. were a real one and then they got rid of them right. just like that. And this elevator's still not working. Oh my God. But, but rezoning is a real issue and that's affecting a lot in the community. So long yes. story short when you're bringing your businesses into the community really make sure you're giving back in some way shape or form and empowering the people loyalty is real and if you give someone something that they believe that they want and not that they believe that they know that they earn that they deserve 
you will have a healthier community. Yeah. One other note about community, and then I'll shut up about it. So <laughs> No, this um, podcast is all about community. Okay. Um, last year, Junior, I don't know if you heard about this terrible, tragic story about a 15-year-old boy that was murdered in the Bronx. He was It was a mistaken identity, and he was in a bodega, and a gang pulled him out, and they stabbed him with a machete, and they left him lifeless, and he died in the hospital. He was only 15. Turns out, it was the wrong person that they were looking for and they killed this innocent boy, right? So I was in South Africa last year with the One Club shooting oh, wow. um, uh, documentary content on the creative boot camps with Sharina Florence. Oh, wait. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. We're, we're well, on the... <laughs> right, we're on the committee, y'all. <laughs> That's right. And, uh... Shit, I forgot that we're on the same... <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same committee the same for committee. the one club. Yeah. And, That's so uh, funny. And when Junior Story was released, I was in South Africa shooting at the time last summer, 2018. I It was our first day of shooting and I could not mentally hold it together. I was so affected by this young man's, uh, the loss of this young man. Why I'm bringing it up. If the Bronx continues to take out or anywhere in New York, yeah. boys and girls clubs, gyms, uh, after-school programs, art programs, right. cutting down budgets that give a sense of, give an outlet and a physical, any kind of fitness, arts, crafts, music, right. you are going to to limit the potential of a teenager and that also cultivates... Makes a safe space. Right, and it cultivates, it can, it can potentially cultivate violence and danger in the communities because teenagers need something to look forward to. They need something to grow. And if you take these fucking programs away, you are hurting the community. You're hurting the youth. Yeah. Stop doing that. It's true. Stop. It's true. Like the junior story affected me to a point. And if we had more programs in place where kids can go and play or they can learn something, maybe junior would be alive or whoever else. So yeah. that's why I'm bringing up the stories because it, it that kind of behavior has got to stop yeah. there has to be more people if i had millions and millions of dollars which one day i will i i power to that power to that let's manifest that it is my responsibility to to put money back into the community yes i do believe that i do believe that when you get to a point of wealth you need to put that back in the community in some way shape or form so yeah no i agree especially if you have I the high if you have the hiring power and you have the financial power do your part. Yeah, if you have the ability to give back, I do. I do believe in a responsibility mm -hmm. um, that one should feel to it, and I. I do feel very fortunate that uh, you know we're in a place right now where we can give back an energy yeah. that is hopefully inspirational and empowering. And that's another way of giving back. Kudos yeah. to saying that. It's true. It doesn't have to only be fine like dollars. Oh, it can sure. Be yeah. Your time Co comes back your in resources a lot of ways. In, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Cool. So as we're wrapping up, yes. it's amazing to have you here. Thank you. Totally. <laughs> Thanks, this, Rich. This, this is actually, this conversation has gone by so fast, man. Right. Looking at the time, like that's wild. <laughs> um, what, are, what are you up to right now? Yeah. Talk us through some like dope projects that you have coming down the cool. way. Um, so a couple of things. I, this was, how do I say this? There are a few things that I'm really happy to announce. So last year, I senior produced six short films called uh, Las Vegas Love Stories, directed and created by Michelle and Olivier Gondry. Wow. The Gondry brothers, right? Yeah, out of here. And that won us a pencil this year at the one show. Wow. And Congratulations. Thank you. And we were short. Those things are heavy. Heavy, y'all. You and can put that in the sock and really <laughs> kick the shit out of you somebody. Can. <laughs> 
and we <laughs> and the films were shortlisted uh, on the Webbies for three categories. Wow, congratulations. So, yeah, thank you. So that wave and that high. Major, like, major. Major, major. Um, and then after that, I just wait, wrapped- wait. What, what's Michelle Gondry like? Lovely. Oh, word. Lovely. Uh, no offense, though. Olivier, his younger brother, cooler. <laughs> Damn, shots fired. <laughs> shots fired. And I say that because <laughs> I like actually sat in a room with Olivier, <laughs> and I got to like hang out and see his just beautiful mastermind create shit. So that was cool. That's amazing. Um, and okay, so then what else? What else have I been doing? Working on the gig. Uh, I also DP two commercials this year. I DP. Can you say what clients? Uh, yes, uh, I DP'd for Hennessy, and we did three five-minute short films for Black History Month. Oh, that oh that was the creators, like a sit-down, yes. yeah. Yeah, we are creators, and the sit-down was phenomenal. That's dope. Yeah, so I was the cinematographer for that, and then I and then I was also the cinematographer for two 30-second commercial, TV mm. commercials, uh, for a Mexican food brand called Del Real. Oh, and, tight. Uh, which is super tight, so it's great to, you know, to be able to DP come up with these ideas for framing composition so that I've been doing that. And I just wrapped a large production with Spike DDB uh, for Cadillac. We wow. hired B Monet. She's an amazing, talented uh, director. And uh, that actually has just been released at the ABFF film festival. And we also honored her. She's an emerging artist and please pay attention to what she's doing. So I produce a commercial spot for them and worked on a huge print campaign for Cadillac for Pride Month. Wow. And then now That's I'm getting... so cool. Yeah, and then... Yo, come, Pride Month is so popping right now. Popping. Happy it, Pride, y'all. Happy Pride. Happy, happy pride. fucking Pride. Happy fucking Pride. Yeah. I can't wait to like, you know, celebrate with my friends and all the above for totally. festival coming up. I mean, the parade, excuse me. Exactly. Oh, that's popping off in like a week from yeah, now. Yeah, like a week and a half. Yeah. I know, but by the time this drops, that will have come and that gone. Will, yeah. Yeah, but I'm excited for that. And lastly, um, or rather new, um, next week I'm starting a, I'm starting a new gig and I can't say the brands, but it's a luxury brand and also a product and it's going to be big. Wow. So I'm working on that. And then sidebar, I am focusing on a feature film and that will be my first feature length Oh yeah, can you talk directed. about that or is that still a secret? That one, um, I can share a little bit about it. It's on, it's a love story. It focuses on a Tuskegee pilot. Oh wow. And his wife and they come from Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Latinx uh, roots and I can just say that. So we are in the ideation That's phase. That's so interesting. Yes. And, and what I, just really quickly, like I've been doing my, my homework, aka Google, um, and re and research on just were there any Dominicans, Haitians, Puerto Ricans that served in during that time yeah. as pilots, as uh, mechanics, and so forth. And turns out, yes, there were quite a few. Right. So the writer Lee Robertson, who was my old boss at the Moving Picture Company, he wrote the script, and we are excited because we're in the ideation phase. We're creating we're building character developments so he came to me and approached me with the script and said mm -hmm. i want you to direct it and the first thing i did i was like i don't know if i could do that that's amazing and he was like you are ready you are so ready oh for this. my god so that, i'm so excited for you <laughs> thank you so that's gonna that's gonna take a long time to do wow have and you cast it yet are you no but i have some faves wow um who i've presented to him are you representative I'm not, y'all. Y'all need to get me represented. Stop playing games. <laughs> no, I need representation. I'm out here solo dolo. Because I'm saying it's like you're about to direct a feature. Yeah, I need representation. Yeah, I don't have. Do. Who wants to represent me? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in a guild? 
No. Oh, wow. Are you in did the you, academy? Did you, no. Did you know that commercial producers are not allowed to be in the Producers Guild of America? But some things, some laws have been oh, changed. Oh, really? Rules have what been changed. What is that? Uh, <laughs> what is that like, stemming from? Why? Um, it's an old rule, and I think it's changed now. They have a new media category. But before, if you were a commercial producer, you were not eligible to be in the PGA because you needed to show that you wrote, you were producing scripted content, television content. But because platforms have changed, yeah. there's now a new category called new media. So I do think that so broad. I, so broad. So I do think under new media, they have subcategories that I might be eligible for. Sure. So that's my next step is to look for representation and get into the union. That's so But yeah, commercial producers, we work on the same fucking budgets. What do I hate in the industry? I hate that. Yeah, exactly. I hate that, that's that's, that, that that's shit stigmatization right there. too. It is. It is. I'm working on million dollar budgets and TV commercials and I can't be in the PGA. Yeah, exactly. I want to be in the PGA, y'all. Yeah, you can make such a dope <laughs> film off a of million dollars. Right. Yeah, like everything's no. Yeah. That that makes no sense. So help a girl out. Um, so that's pretty much what I got going on for for the next, you know, and summer I'll be busy. I'll be doing these two productions and I'll right. just be busy. And then next steps is relocation to LA. Oh, really? Yeah. That that's in the cards? Like for that's real, for the, real? For real, for real. Like Relo- but but is that just like, you know, soon-ish or like you got a date like that's the ending of 2019 damn why is everyone going to LA because the, the, the business and the money and the market is out there and for me right. I, I'm just going to project it manifest it I want to work on scripted narrative and TV content yeah and let's face it that's in LA that is New LA. York is advertising documentaries yeah um, yep. fashion but if you're if anyone who's interested in doing what I just mentioned LA is still where it's at so that's it and not to mention I'm tired of the fucking cold weather. I'm so tired of this. I'm New so York tired of this cold weather. This tough. cold weather has crushed me this sum- <laughs> this winter. Excuse me. Oh, but, yeah. but yeah, LA is the move. You're definitely a sun person. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on my Instagram, lovelay, L-O-V-E-L-E-Y. Support the gig. We are slowly, but we are working efficiently and hard on our content. And you can find us on Instagram as well, The Gig Series. We also have a website, thegigseries.co. And if you want to check out my work and see what I'm about, you can check out all my shit on my website. It's laylarosario.com. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yo, Layla, <laughs> you are amazing. Your energy is amazing. This is a pleasure. I just loved everything. That just Love it. Right Thanks, Rich. I really appreciate you having me. And I don't know why I'm having a hard time saying that word. I really appreciate you having me here. <laughs> appreciate you too thank you take care (laughs) so that was great and fun and actually really educational so i hope you guys got a lot out of that make sure you check out the gig too so you can find this podcast at itunes spotify anchor fm stitcher soundcloud wherever you get podcasts go to firstgenburden.com and of course we are on instagram so go to at firstgenburden.com And also you can find me, your host, at rich underscore T-U. That's right, rich underscore T-U. Talk to the guy over in London who has rich to just one word because he won't give it up. Anyway, thank you to Listening Party and Canal Street Market. Follow them at Listening Party Presents and Canal Street Market. That's at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Uh, those guys are great, so much appreciated to them. And again, thanks to the Desjin team for their support. Ben Sounds on Music. Thank you for checking out Season 4 of First Gen Burden. Come back next week. Be safe, everyone. Bye.